When we come to a retreat, we have to fabricate that which is actually the retreat. Because what is the retreat really? I mean, we need to have an environment, which is the retreat center, the building. And in the building, we have to have a support structure. We have to have the, the staff or the team of people who help run the retreat. We, in this case, need to create an environment or an atmosphere of silence that really holds and protects the, the retreat and the work that we're doing here together. In this case, we also have the beautiful surroundings, the, the, the three big trees, the Buddha trees, uh, we might say the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the three big old trees on our lawn. We're so grateful thankful for that. We have these beautiful surroundings. All this gives support to our retreat, too. We have each other. We have the schedule, you know, which kind of holds the day together from 5.45 in the morning till the last time that's written on the schedule at 9.30. doesn't mean that the practice necessarily has to end at that time, but it's the last time written on the schedule. So we have the schedule that's made up, that, that holds it as well. We have the practice, the practices, the, the, the methods and the techniques, the different meditations that are taught, the teacher who comes and teachers who come and guide the meditations, the teachings. So we, we create all of this and it, and, it, and it establishes what we call our retreat and we enter into that together as something we uh, take on and that impacts us and influences us. But sometimes this container or this structure can be taken too seriously. Any part of it can be taken too seriously. The, the, the methods and the techniques, the different meditations that are taught, the teachings, the schedule, <laughs> the uh, teacher or the way the retreat uh, center is run, any of that can all be taken really quite seriously. And in a way we can forget what we're really doing here. You know, all of this can become, in a way, somewhat of a trap for us. For example, one person was talking about the schedule today. A few people have mentioned this. You know that it's too much. You know, the sittings and the walkings, the sittings and walkings, the way the schedule is, is organized today is just too much. Can't do it. Feels trapped by it. You know? But what is it? <laughs> you know, really, what is it? It's a couple of you know, typed letters on a piece of paper that then there's the idea, the, the belief that I have to fit myself into that in order to gain something from this retreat. In a way, and then, then that feels like a trap or contain, uh, some way that I feel contained or pressurized by. But what is it? <laughs> You know, what is it really? It's just something that we've fabricated. It's something that we've made up and then printed it up and put it on the wall. And it can become very serious. 
You know, in the same way that the, uh, the meditation technique can become a structure that I try to put myself into, you know, like putting a, 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 a what do they say, a square peg in a round hole, you know, it's like, it doesn't fit, <laughs> I can't do it, you know, it doesn't work for me, it's too hard, but what is it? <laughs> What is it that we're actually trying to do? I mean, are we trying to master a technique, a particular technique? Because the what's taught here is only one, one of 80,000 different kinds of meditation techniques that I think even just the Buddha taught, depending on different kind of character types that he would meet. You know, just one particular kind of method, so many different kinds of methods, but have we come here to master a particular method? Because we can so easily then take on the instructions, try to do them, and then because of our ideas about the meditation and how I should be uh, we should be here with meditation, then we can get quite upset with ourselves or angry with ourselves, judging ourselves. I just, I can't stay with the breath. I can't follow the breath. You know, I, I, I just seem to keep getting, um, wandering off into other kinds of thoughts. I can come back to the breath after four or five breaths, but I can't stay with it. Which again, you know, I think is really missing the point. It's like we're getting too narrow if we think like that, too, too um, particularized about what it is we're supposed to be doing here. So I think that one other, one other belief that we hold around all this is that we actually have to be somewhere else than where we are already. And that all of these methods and techniques and teachings and, and the, the retreat itself, it's all going to carry us to some place that's going to be better than where we are. You know, somehow that I'm going to be a better person or I'm going to master something or I'm going to get really good at concentrating on my breath or... <laughs> My mind's going to get really quiet, or I'm going to be much more loving. My heart's going to be much more open. You know, all these kind of ideas that actually, if we hold on to them too tightly, and if we, we believe that those kinds of things actually have to happen, then this is, in a, in a way, is going to take us away from where we are, we are already that, in a sense, where we are is already where we need to be. <laughs> that there isn't anywhere else that we need to go. Even though all of this that we've created here, and even, you know, the 2,500-year-old the tradition that the Buddha laid down, you know, of the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths and this beautiful, incredible path to Nibbana, no. It can all become something quite grand and something quite um, far away. <laughs> it's 
something that we feel we have to do a lot of work and a lot of practice and a lot of mastering in order to get to. But I think all of this can be a potential trap, something that can misguide us because it easily takes us away from where we are. And the, the teachings, the true teachings, are actually just pointing us right back here all the time. When we really understand, when we really grasp what the Buddha is pointing to, because it has to be pointed to, because as soon as it's named and it's described and identified, the mind just grasps it and makes it into something that it's not. But when we understand what the Buddha is pointing to, what the teachings are pointing to, it's pointing us back right here. Right here. <laughs> Not anywhere else. And so I think the, the, truly the meditation instructions have been simplified, hopefully, in such a way that we are continually just brought back. Whenever we find this, this, uh, this sense that we're off or that we're away, you know, that we are identified or lost with our ideas of the past or the future, we wake up, we wake up from that dream, that fiction, and arrive back where we are, where we've always been, which is right here. We've never left. <laughs> we just think we have that we've left or that we're gone and that we have to get back or that we have to go to some place that is not here but actually all of these teachings just bring us back they point us back they circle us back right here right here so in a very real and a very profound way, nothing has to change. Nothing has to be different. And I think because of the, this is, because it almost is too radical for the mind to appreciate, we miss it. This, this truth easily slips away from us. It's like it somehow it's too... The mind can't get it. <laughs> Our minds just can't get it. That this is the only place we need to be. Even with all of the potential difficulties that arise in any particular moment, you know, whether it's our aversions or our greed or our agitations and anxieties, um, uh, 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 discomforts and pains and all of that all of that gives the sense that well this can't be it <laughs> this can't be what it's about there must be some way to come to the end of all of this but yet in some ways if we can really understand the end of it is by coming right here with it you know, it's, it's, it's that we, we aren't trying to move away from our experience. We're not trying to generate something other than 
the fullness of what's happening for us. And when we're able to come completely right into the fullness of that experience, just how it is, whatever it is, there is something so profound and so rich and so complete and so satisfying. But yet the mind, our minds are often so busy trying to fabricate some other kind of reality, whether it's a momentary kind of movement away of a fantasy or some kind of projection of what might be better for us right now, or whether it's where we, when we really pick up the tradition of, well, there must be something called what the Buddha is pointing to, nibbana. There has to be this great and fabulous, <laughs> kind of miraculous mind state of nibbana. But as soon as we project it into some place other, we've missed it. Because how can even that be anywhere other than where we are? Because each of us are already that Buddha nature. The Buddha nature is right here. But in a kind of paradoxical way, the reason that we have all these methods and techniques and traditions and retreats and all that is because we have Buddha nature. You know, it's sort of like without those vehicles, without the teachings, without the traditions, perhaps we'd miss it all together because we'd be too busy in our, in our deluded ideas about things. So sort of we need these vehicles, we need the methods and the techniques and the traditions to bring us back to our innate wisdom so they can help us wake up to what is true. But now, instead of here we are, here we are in this environment, the retreat, methods, techniques, the teachings, the traditions, we're here right now. So we have to be reminded not to take it all too seriously, not to get trapped by it right here, because it can be another way that we, it can be another veil that falls down over our eyes and we can't see the truth that's sitting right here in front of us that actually we don't need to lift out of this moment. We don't need to lift out. And it truly is only through our ideas that something else needs to be happening that we do lift out. That something else needs to be happening because this can't be it. I remember that so clearly in myself when I was really, the teachings were being reflected and reflected and reflected and teachers were saying, this is it. (laughs) And my mind was saying, this can't be it. (laughs) How could this be it? And the teachers were saying, this is it. Don't allow your mind to move out of this moment. I say, this can't be it. (laughs) You know, This is so ordinary, this is so mundane, you know, just sitting, just walking, just eating. How could this be it? But as one drops more and more into that realization, 
one, one, one wakes up to, well, how could it not be it? When we talk about freedom, we talk about presence, we talk about true intimacy with and connection with. How can we be talking about something that is other than this? Why would we need to lift out of this moment or move away from this situation to have those very things? To have deep friendship with? To have intimacy with? What about this? (laughs) What about just sitting here with our boredom at times? Why not feel the deep friendship and intimacy with boredom? Why exclude boredom? (laughs) Why throw that one out? That's as interesting and complex as any other experience we might have. It just seems to also have the quality of not not being very interesting. (laughs) And the mind seems to want to wander off to things that seem to be more interesting. But that's the quality of boredom. That's the trickiness of it. But yet, if there's something within us that knows, wait a minute, this is it. Right here with my boredom, that wisdom, that inner wisdom, will keep us from wandering off looking for something that's more satisfying. We'll say, wait a minute, this boredom might be really interesting if I take a look at it and find out what it really is. And what about my knee pain? Well, I can't really have a deep and clear meditation if I'm sitting with all this knee pain or back pain. But if we're talking about connection, presence, non-reactivity, not allowing the mind to move away or towards something else, but really being with fully, embracing the moment, the present moment fully, why not knee pain? Could be interesting (laughs) when we really look at it, or if we really allow ourselves to feel it and be with it. What else needs to be going on? It's really only the mind, our mind, that that fabricates these ideas, that fabricates the idea that what is happening now isn't good enough, it isn't satisfactory, it shouldn't be happening. This can't be an indication of freedom. This can't be a manifestation of nibbana, whatever that is, (laughs) it's a fancy word. But the mind comes in and splits us off from our experience, takes us away from this experience to such an extent that we actually believe it. That's the habit. That's actually the real problem in life is that we believe these thoughts that take us away from this beautiful moment, 
and we get split or fragmented. And more and more, I really have come to not only really feel on an experiential level, but also understand that the real pain or the dissatisfaction that I feel in myself and my life is when I'm caught in that split. Is when my mind is saying, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't like this experience. I want something else to be going on. I don't like this person. I don't like myself. This isn't satisfactory, and I want to create something else. And it's that actual split, that, that, that the mind going off into some other reality, separate from the one that I'm in, and that, that conflict, that, that separation, is the pain that I feel. It's the dissonance is the is the unsatisfactory nature, or we might say dukkha, dukkha, which is the Pali word for suffering or pain or the unsatisfactory nature of things. I think dukkha is such a good word when one really understands and feels into it, because it's always the dukkha that we are trying to get away from or trying to even meditate through. We meditate so that we can come to some kind of peace or, or real satisfaction in ourselves, deep place of, 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 of fulfillment. But it's to, to, to understand or to, to get rid of the dukkha in our lives. But the beautiful thing about looking carefully, looking clearly at our own minds, is that we see that the dukkha arises when we want to be somewhere else. Or we want something else to be going on, or we want ourselves to be different than we are. When we're not able to fully, maybe use the word, surrender into how I see myself manifesting, or how I see myself showing up in any given moment, or, or, or the way I perceive somebody else is in another moment. I want them to be different. And it's that, it's that, that splitting off between the mind's desires and what the mind, the mind, the reality, the reality that the mind fabricates, and the present reality. Present reality. And so the beauty of the meditation is that it asks us to come back. Come back. (laughs) You know, it's really so simple. When, when, When somebody says to me, you know, I can't sit for 45 minutes. I can't do the sitting and the walking and the sitting and the walking. It's too much. And I have to, I have to ask the person, say, well, well let's look at that. Because what, what, what are you really being asked to do? You're just sitting, just walking, 
just sitting, just walking. What is it, what is so difficult about that? In its simplicity, but yet it can seem like the hardest thing that we've ever taken on in our lives sometimes. Just to sit still for 45 minutes, you know, but what is it? What is it that makes it so difficult? So we're asked to come back, just to come back. The mind wanders off, we go off, we fabricate other realities. Say, come back, just be here, see what's going on. But we find it so hard. It's so hard just to sit quietly. But yet, isn't it really the most profound thing that we can possibly do? is to be able to sit with ourselves in our truth, in our true experience, when the mind isn't fabricating some some mythical reality that isn't true. It's just imaginary worlds, imaginary worlds that we create. but to live in true reality. It is, so, it is really so profound. And I think it's more profound because it doesn't seem like that many people are doing it. <laughs> you know, really being here for this truth. Finding out what that is. Finding out what that means not even picking up the word or the concept of truth because that can be waved around particularly having just been in india you know a lot of people are waving around the world with the word truth and reality with a capital r supreme reality divine reality you know those kinds of words but what is it what does it mean And so here we have the opportunity in such a simple way, such a simple way, even though it is certainly not easy, certainly not easy, just to come back, just to come back, to wake up, to pierce the bubble of our distorted realities, of our imaginary worlds that we weave, that we so habitually weave. But to pierce that, to understand, to know what that means when we pop the bubble and we land back right here where we are, what is it? And why does that seem so difficult? It's often difficult because it can be quite painful. And we're not used to really sitting with our pains for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of, of past conditions, strategies, coping strategies that we've learned when we were children, when we were small, growing up. They're all very real and very justified, and we needed those. You know, a lot of us needed those strategies in order to survive, in order to make it through, to make it through, to be, to be a grown-up person, 
you know. But for the most part, most of us don't need those strategies anymore. But they've become somewhat habitual. We, they're almost, it's like baggage that we're still carrying with us, but we don't really need it anymore. We don't need those heavy suitcases full of all those coping strategies. What might happen if we just put those aside and we're really asked to do that here? You know, put, put, those, put those suitcases aside and just sit here and see if you really do have the inner resources now in present time to cope with your own inner pain in a very real way. A real way meaning that you can actually feel what's happening in your body. You can feel what's happening in your heart. You can allow some of the thoughts and the memories to come through the mind and it's okay. You don't feel so threatened and so... so. Um, Uh, fearful of those thoughts. You can see them, let them come in, and know that you can sit steady and be firm and strong in the face of those. So here we're really testing those resources, finding out who we are, but finding out in a true way, not from memory, not from the ideas that we carry about ourselves and who we think we are, not from our identities and our roles and our images, the way that we believe ourselves to be strong or not strong, (laughs) having lots of difficulties or illnesses or or uh, psychological problems, or all the sort of the ideas that we have about ourselves and our past, but to really look in a fresh way, to look in a fresh way, and this isn't this is really where the wisdom of the heart starts to shine because we're not drawing on anything old. We're not really drawing on the past even. We're really allowing ourselves to stay very fresh in the moment, very fresh. And fresh means that even letting go of what happened in the last five minutes and really facing our existence in this moment And really seeing if we have the resources, drawing on our inner resources, our inner capacity to be with ourselves, to be with our existence, and that means our existence includes everything all around us as well. This is the way that we really come to know ourselves, because otherwise it's just old ideas, old ideas of who we think we are. And we do carry those around, and it is very habitual. But through practicing the meditation, and all that means, practicing the meditation doesn't mean mastering techniques, really. 
It simply means to face the present moment and to have the willingness, have the intention, have the determination to be here, (laughs) to be here. And the technique that is taught does give support to that. But if we find that we just get too caught up in trying to do the technique right, we'll actually miss what's really supposed to be happening. We'll miss the present moment because we're trying to apply a technique rather than looking at our experience. So in the beginning, we do emphasize using the breath, focusing on the breath. But really, that's so we can bring some stability to the mind. You know, if we bring an object of attention to the mind and we, we allow our, our attention to come back again and again and again, through doing that, it helps to stabilize our attention, unify our attention, so that we're not so scattered and lost and the mind isn't wandering here and there and here and there, uh, jumping like a monkey from branch to branch to branch, you know, at the next interesting leaf or banana or <laughs> monkey or <laughs> anything that it sees in its grasp. So we need to come to uh, some kind of unification in the mind. We use the breath for doing that, or the sound. The mind gets more settled, the mind gets more focused. And then we can let go and open up so that we can have more clarity and more uh, vitality, more strength of mind, more a focus of attention to really look at our experience, to really look carefully. And one of the things we want to look carefully at is the, how we might be dragging the past into the present, dragging these ideas about who we think we are and who we think others are and what we think this is all about, what we think meditation is about, what we think our meditation should look like, what we think we should look like in the meditation and how we would be the best meditators or good meditators or you know all the inevitable ideas and beliefs that we will carry with us but through bringing our attention to the mind and how the mind is moving we don't have to believe in it so much We don't have to get so identified with it all. We can let it go. Let it go. And coming back to the breath or coming back to the sounds or our full body experience, it helps us let go. We don't have to get so fixated on these thoughts, these fantasies, these ideas, these beliefs. And in doing that, something very fresh comes through very fresh and it's not we might we might say it's not mind because mind when I use the word mind I'm talking about the thinking mind thinking mind 
And whatever we think about is already old. You know, it's fabricated based on some things that have happened in the past that we think about in the present and project into the future, into this whole realm of time. But something, some way, it's not so fresh, it's not so immediate. So we start to let go of the mind. You know, the meditation instructions help us with that. Let go. Let go. Come back. Come back. Because when we come back with a fresh mind, when we're not hanging on to our ideas of the past and our thoughts and our fabrications and our fantasies and our plans and our agendas and ideas, there's the possibility for something wholly new to be understood. To be known, to be touched. But we can't do it through the thinking mind. We can't do it through our fabrications and ideas. But we can do it now. (laughs) We can do it now. Because it only takes an instant because what we're talking about is really being here, really being here. And that just takes an instant. And it's this being here, really being here, we start to deepen into that. It's not like we go somewhere else, we understand the teachings through being here and then we go someplace else but rather we really start to deepen into this experience of now, which holds everything that we're looking for. Everything. It even holds this fancy concept of Nibbana, (laughs) which is the Nibbana is the Pali way, I think, of saying nirvana. And nirvana is the Sanskrit way (laughs) of saying it. So we have Nibbana and Nirvana. (laughs) But nobody really can tell you what it is. But it can be pointed to. So the practices, the instructions, the teachings, the traditions, the retreat, the silence, all that's happening here is just pointing us to that, really, which is here. When we can open our eyes to it, open our mind to it, open our heart to it, so there's nowhere else we need to go. There's nothing that we have to accumulate. There's nothing that we have to become. There's nobody that we have to be. One of my favorite lines is from Jack Cornfield, one of my teachers, who says, when, when he said one time on a retreat, he said, this is not the store, this is the dump. You know? This is the rubbish tip. 
You know, this isn't the place that you're going to gain anything. That when the Buddha became enlightened, he didn't gain anything from his enlightenment. (laughs) So maybe this is bad news, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Because I think that really we would like to be somebody different. (laughs) I know that thought arises in my own mind a lot. But I have to catch it because I know that that thought is dukkha. It's dukkha. It's suffering. That thought burns. So when I hear it from other people too, I recognize it. (laughs) Because I know the feeling in my own mind. I know what happens in my own heart when I want to move away from myself, when I want to split off from myself, and I can't fully accept this being in its wholeness. That's the dukkha. So, maybe it's not bad news. But what it does is sort of leaves us where we are until the next thought that takes us away, (laughs) which is bound to happen in any instant (laughs) in most everybody's mind because that's the habit. But perhaps the wisdom, the wisdom really can tell us that if we do that, that's going to be more suffering. Hmm? That truly the healing, the openness, the freedom is really right here in this radical acceptance of this moment. There's one poem I'd like to read. This is from a 10th century Japanese woman poet. I think she was considered one of the greatest poets of the time, Izumi Izumi Shikubi. Simple, just a few-line poem. Watching the moon at dawn solitary, mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. I knew myself completely, no part left out. That's the invitation. Let's sit for a few minutes.
May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with a compassionate heart. May all beings know themselves completely. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.